The Tom Woods Show, episode 1385. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, I absolutely love my beautiful movement watch. It's the kind of accessory that tells the world this person is well put together. You are going to love looking at their huge selection of beautiful styles. And take 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com woods. That's 15% off at mvmt.com woods. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. I'm sure you know last Thursday, Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, was arrested at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And this is what everybody in his right mind has been talking about ever since. So I managed to get Cassandra Fairbanks on the program via Skype so we could talk about what it all means and what the background is and just have a good briefing on the subject because she has been following Julian Assange and all the issues related to him and WikiLeaks for quite some time. And she's written quite a bit about it as well over at the Gateway Pundit. So I'm going to link to her archive as well as her Twitter over at tomwoods.com slash 1385. You should certainly follow her for developments in this particular case. Now, I do want to point out that, you know, as sometimes happens with Skype, we have a few audio glitches here and there. We did our best to patch them up for you, but you won't have any difficulty following the conversation, that's for sure. So very, very important that we get this right. And this is one of these areas where establishment left and right can't kiss and make up fast enough. They are delighted at the arrest of Assange. This is the way establishment left and right behave. Meanwhile, we have the good guys. We have some good guys on the right. We have most libertarians. I'd say almost all libertarians. And then, yes, there are some people on the left who have got this just absolutely right. And they've been right about it all along. And they are standing up against the left liberal establishment the same way we're standing up against the neocon establishment. And I think, you know, I want to tip my hat to them, even though I know they wouldn't want to be caught, you know, within 100 miles of me. Nevertheless, that's not going to stop me from being a decent person. I want to acknowledge those those good folks out there who have made life difficult on themselves the same way they made life difficult on themselves by refusing to be swept up in the Russiagate nonsense. It's the same people, by and large who are sound on the Assange question. So anyway, let's bring Cassandra on the show. Cassandra, welcome. Thank you for having me. I've had a lot of people say, you are the person. You are the person I should talk to about uh, Julian Assange. And so then when I, I followed you for a little while, then when I looked more closely about your work here, I thought, they're darn right. I have very discriminating listeners uh, to have uh, put me on uh, the path to you. So I know you've actually visited him uh, more than once uh, how, how many times? Um, I visited him three times. And one of those times was fairly recent? Yeah, March 25th, so just a couple weeks ago. Okay. Why don't we actually start right there? I saw you on some program where you were contrasting your recent visit with previous ones in terms of his treatment and I think just the way he looked to you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was quite shocking, actually. Um, I visited him in January, and things had, like, ramped up. The surveillance had ramped up. They were less friendly and cold, and um, it just wasn't the welcoming environment that it was a year ago. But this time, when I went in 
in March, it was shockingly bad and almost frightening. Um, they locked me in a room for an hour and a half. Um, and my visit was only scheduled for two hours. And they still enforced that. Um, but while I was locked in the room, Julian got into a huge fight with the embassy staff. And he accused them of being agents of the U.S. government and spying on him and providing it to the U.S. government and treating him like a prisoner. And you have to remember, at this time, he was not a prisoner. He was he had a political asylum, and they were not treating him as such. They were treating him as a criminal. And so eventually they let me out of the room and I went into the lobby and I got to see Julian briefly and say hi, but they ushered him in. Um, The issue was that they didn't want to allow him into the room to meet with me unless he had underwent a full body scan. They wouldn't even let his lawyer come in to meet with me without a full body search. So it was pretty shocking. That's never happened with any visitor in the nearly seven years that he was there, including myself, um, the previous times that I went. So he he was very upset and said that it was undignified. And then when he went in with the ambassador, a massive shouting match ensued. He, he said that the ambassador was, you know, an agent of the U S government, that he had removed equipment from the conference room that would have prevented spying on him in order to make it easier for foreign governments to spy on him. And we've learned that he was very correct in this because the day before he was arrested, WikiLeaks announced that they had been being extorted for $3 million because somebody obtained all the surveillance footage from inside the embassy, including his legal notes, his meeting with lawyers, his doctor visits. So he was right to be worried. And um, the ambassador told him to shut up. And he said, I know you want me to shut up. The president of Ecuador has already gagged me. Uh, because he hasn't been allowed to express political opinions or speak about his treatment in the in the embassy since March of last year. And he was trying to tell me what was going on, but they refused to allow us to meet privately in a room that didn't have so many cameras. So things had gotten pretty bad, but I got to speak with him for about 10 minutes and give him a big, big hug and tell him that we would keep fighting for him no matter what. So at least there was that. What do you think he would want folks to be doing right now? He would want people to be pushing back against the narrative. I mean, they're they're coming out with full-fledged smear campaigns against him that are that are outright ridiculous. I mean, Julian is pretty I don't want to say he's OCD, but he's extremely anal. And so for people to accuse him of being filthy and dirty and even smearing feces on the wall, like this is complete madness. Um, while I was in London over the weekend, because I went out to, I wanted to be able to film police if they arrested him because I was worried that they would manhandle him or something. So I, I flew to London on an emergency flight. While I was there, I was leaked his transcript from an October court hearing in which he described the gagging that he was going through and you know not being allowed to defend himself. Well, and he said that the Ecuadorian government were the ones who were pushing out these smear campaigns and preventing him from being able to defend himself. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of that. And I think that he would want people to really push back on that because I know it was bothering him quite a bit. Well, let's talk about specifically what he's being accused of, because first of all, what's in the indictment is not necessarily what's on social media. You know, what people are saying on social media is not necessarily up to date with what he's actually being accused of. Right. What exactly is it that he's being accused? of? I mean, the things he's being accused of are not from a couple of years ago. Right. What exactly is the what's he in trouble for at this moment? Well, they're claiming that he had helped Chelsea Manning to 
break into files. She had access to these files already, but he was helping her disguise that it was her so that the government wouldn't know that Manning was the one who released it. So basically, he was attempting to help his source not be identified. And that's what they're accusing him of. And and Alan Dersh, or no, the, um, the lawyer from the Pentagon Papers actually came out and said that normally this is legal, but there's never been an instance where it was computer related. Like in other cases, journalists would try and help people figure out the best way to steal files, like in the case of the Pentagon Papers, without getting caught, but that this is different because it, it involved computers. Right. So this is not a case where where there was quote-unquote hacking, whereby he was helping Manning to get access to documents that, you know, where there wouldn't otherwise have been access. It's it's rather just so that Manning could cover her own tracks. Right. It's not that, well, it's not, I mean, in other words, these are documents she could have had access to either way. It's just a matter of preserving her anonymity, which is what journalists uh, are always in the business of doing. Correct. And journalists, you know, no journalist worth their salt wouldn't want to protect their source. I mean, it's that standard journalism. I mean, it would have been wrong if he, if Julian had been like, okay, give me the files and, you know, you're on your own. <laughs> Just it's standard journalism to try and protect your source. But I don't think that the, these are the actual charges that he'll ultimately face anyway. I think that they're just putting light charges so that UK will, can easily agree to the extradition because they have rules about not extraditing people for political purposes. So if they had thrown in the Espionage Act and all these things right away, then they would have had a, a stronger or harder legal battle. Oh, that's interesting. As far as extradition goes. That's interesting. Um, I'd like you to comment on a, as usual, very on point tweet from Glenn Greenwald, who says, what changed for the Democrats? Why, when they had power under Obama, did they choose not to prosecute Assange on the ground that doing so would endanger press freedoms, but they now cheer the Trump Department of Justice for indicting him? The answer is obvious. Assange published documents that made the Democrats look bad in 2016. You think that's what it amounts to in terms of accounting for why the not all Democrats, but an awful lot of them seem to be enthusiastic about this? Absolutely. I mean, it's that's 100 percent what it was. And I mean, I talked to Sarah Palin last year and I don't know if everybody remembers this, but when Sarah Palin's emails got leaked by WikiLeaks, the Washington Post set up a volunteer task force to help go through them. They were so excited about this. They made such a huge big deal about it. And Sarah Palin has since said that she loves WikiLeaks and that mad at the time because it was her emails, obviously, but that she understands why they do what they do and the importance of making information available to the public. Um, I spoke to her about it and I was really, really impressed with her, her response. But the Democrats are not, they're not seeing it now. They're so blinded with this rage against Trump that they, they're willing to give up their own freedom to hurt somebody, to get revenge, I guess. I've heard it said, again, I'm just talking about social media. We're not talking about people who are really knowledgeable about the particulars of the case, but people who, you know, on social media tend to have knee-jerk responses to important issues. And as you know, there are plenty of those out there. And somebody was telling me on Twitter that Assange has, quote, blood on his hands because of the kind of information uh, he was prepared to make public, that the U.S. government wanted kept secret, uh, for example, pertaining to the war in Afghanistan. And so he has blood on his hands. Does he have blood on his hands? Absolutely not. And here's there's three important things to remember about this, and this is going to be their talking point throughout the entire trial. But there's three really, really important things. Number one is that 
the Pentagon testified during the Manning trial that nobody was harmed because of the leaks. The Pentagon had no reason to try and lie for Chelsea Manning. They testified flat out nobody was killed because of these leaks. That's the first important thing. The second is that the Guardian, so when, I don't know if everybody remembers this, but when the Manning leaks were happening, WikiLeaks was slow releasing them and redacting information. And there was a whole team of journalists working with them on this. It was a really big, big effort by a lot of different newspapers, a lot of journalists. But what happened was one of the reporters from The Guardian wrote a book and it came out before all the leaks were were finished. And in, in it, he included the password to the unredacted full batch of files. So as soon as this happened, the files went flying all across the internet. They were all over every social media at the time. And then WikiLeaks called the State Department to warn them that there had been a security breach. There's a video of it on YouTube, actually, of Julian calling Hillary Clinton's office. But they tried to call Secretary of State Clinton, and they were blown off. They were ignored. They were trying to warn them, like desperately trying to warn them. And they, they were blown off. And so, I mean, there's that. But then the third thing to remember is that the newspapers and journalists and the media that pushed the lies that got us into the Iraq war have the most blood on their hands right now, not the people who are trying to stop it. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> no, of course, that's that's of course, that's the correct opinion. The, the people who actually start these wars that make no sense, for them to be standing in judgment of anyone and particularly to claim that somebody else has blood on his hands is just typical of the breathtaking both – I'd like to say it's lack of self-awareness, but I, I, I it, it can't be that. It's just outright propaganda. Right. I mean these are people who celebrate John McCain as a great hero of the regime, but you know they, they give Ron Paul and Tulsi Gabbard the back of their hands even though these people devote their lives to, to the cause of peace. Now let's talk about uh, – what you, you, you're saying that you believe that when all is said and done, the – the indictment against uh, Assange will be much broader than what has been brought forth so far? Oh, absolutely. See, the thing with the UK is they have a very relaxed extradition treaty with the US, but the one thing in there that's really important in this case is that they will not extradite somebody for political purposes, which means that if they had indicted him for you know, the Hillary Clinton email leaks, or if they included the Espionage Act or any of the charges that Manning had previously faced, then they would have a really serious fight on their hands with the UK government. And Alan Dershowitz has pointed this out as well. There's nothing that prevents them from adding more charges once he's here. So if they throw a really light case and they're like, look, it's only five years, just let us have them. Once he's here, they can they can throw the book at him, and they will. There's no no way that they the UK government spent twenty five million dollars surveilling that embassy for a five year charge. Right, right, right. That's the thing. So then, basically, the question becomes, what's Trump going to do? Now, I've asked, is there any possibility, any possibility whatsoever, that he could somehow intervene? And I've been told by people, there's just no way he'll do that. Or even if he did do it. They would come after him like crazy. He'd get impeached. I don't even know. I mean, that would that all assumes that his heart is in the right place on this. And his heart is all over the place on all kinds of crazy things. So what do you think here? Well, in 2010, he said that Julian should be put to death. So I think that that should be used by Julian's lawyers to fight the extradition, quite honestly. That's an excellent point. But then, you know, 
during the campaign, because the UK will not extradite somebody who's facing the death penalty. So that needs to be brought up constantly by his lawyers. But then during the 2016 election, we had Trump say 48 times he either referenced or told people to look at WikiLeaks, said he loves WikiLeaks, or referenced them in some way. 48 times on the campaign trail, and then he's claiming that he knows something about it. So I think that he... I've seen more spine and jellyfish than than what I've seen from Trump this week. So I'm not going to hold my breath on any kind of pardon or anything from him, but it doesn't hurt to pressure him. So Yeah, no, it doesn't hurt or or to or to embarrass him. I mean, whatever works with this guy, uh, I'm I'm willing to try. Same. I retweeted what you wrote about uh you you had a tweet where you said why would anybody bother with Trump anymore at this point when you look at people like Flynn, Stone, Assange, people who, whether intentionally or not, have helped him in one way or another, are just left hanging out to dry? Yeah. And and that's coming from somebody, by the way, namely yourself, who has been somewhat favorable to Trump. So this isn't like you're just knee-jerk opposition to Trump's every move. It's from somebody— No, I switched I, parties to vote for him. <laughs> yeah. So you have sympathy for him, and yet, and and if it, whereas if he were to do this, if he were to sit back and let Assange go on trial and let the worst happen to him, what would that what would that do for you politically? I mean, I would never vote for him ever. I mean, I would actively campaign against him, and people are really upset with me about this, but I firmly believe that politicians come and go. But once we give up our freedom, we're not getting it back. And if we give up the freedom to publish and the freedom of press, it's it's never going to come back. And soon there will be other people in power, perhaps a Democrat, and this stuff will be used against anyone who publishes things that they don't like. And so people need to realize that this is way bigger than Julian, and it's it's way bigger than President Trump. This is a fight for the First Amendment. All right, just a quick message before we go on. My daughters are going to be very happy that I'm sharing this message with somebody other than them for a change. I just got one of these beautiful movement watches, and I've been trying to show it off as inconspicuously as possible because it's absolutely beautiful. MVMT has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that are affordable. You're going to love looking through all the different styles. The one I have is the rose gold brown. And the gold color of the watch combined with the deep red of the strap is just an amazing juxtaposition. It looks so sharp. I'm constantly hoping people will look at it. And frankly, it's just one of those pieces of your overall presentation that tells the world this person is well put together. They also have tons of sunglasses and they have interchangeable watch straps so you never run out of options for a new look. These, by the way, are perfect gifts for friends and loved ones, or even, frankly, for yourself. And guess what? Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash woods. See why MVMT keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash woods. Join the movement. I have a friend, um, because, you know, we've all heard over and over on social media that Assange isn't a journalist. So my friend Michael Malice turned that back around on them and said, yeah, you know, I mean, now I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he basically said, yeah, you know what? He's not a journalist because he actually defied regimes and got information out there that they prefer to keep hidden. Doesn't sound like any journalist I know. And of course, he's right. You know, given <laughs> most journalists, I know most most journalists are lackeys or lackeys of the regime. Now, most people or not most people, but a good chunk of what Michael calls midwits didn't get the point of his. But he thought he was a lot of people thought Michael was criticizing Assange by saying he wasn't a journalist. No, he was giving him props 
saying that right. you know compared to our crop of journalists, this guy's a hero. So what what interests me is. Uh, of course, I've again also on your Twitter feed. I've seen that you've uh, retweeted Tulsi Gabbard, who came right out. You knew exactly what her position on this was going to be. Whereas with the rest of that series of Democratic candidates, uh, all of whom are just each one is creepier than the next, and this Mayor Pete seems the one they all love now. Seems to be the worst when it comes to the national security state and war and all that. He seems to be like the worst one. What oh, he's are, horrid. What, what are they saying? I have not kept up. Have they basically just clammed up? Yeah, pretty much. And then, well, I mean, she's been delightful. I mean, she was on MSNBC. She was on CNN. She urgently and strongly responded to this. And I have so much respect for her. It's not even funny. But I haven't seen anything from any of the other candidates at all. That's what I thought. I thought maybe it could be that because I don't follow it as closely as you do, maybe I missed something. But how revealing is that? Well, that there's they, Mike Gravel. Mike Gravel. Yeah, right, sure. But, yeah, no, he's but, not but a, Gravel says, yeah, he says that he's only in it just to get in the debates. And then he says he's in there to, to try to push the party to the left. Like we need Mike Gravel for that reason. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're already, right. they're already doing that. The great thing about Tulsi is that she almost seems to violate Horton's law, which was developed by my foreign policy friend, Scott Horton. And if Scott comes up with this law, he says, it just seems to be the case that whatever good things a politician promises will just be ignored when the person gets in office, but all the bad things, those will be implemented. Whereas I think with Tulsi, she actually there are a lot of things she favors that I don't agree with, but she doesn't lead with those things. She leads with issues that if you were to poll Democrats, they don't even consider to be that important these days. In fact, the Democrats more and more are favoring a more interventionist approach in foreign policy, and yet she leads with national security, civil liberties, the warfare state, uh, it, despite the fact that it means they smear her, they ignore her. And I know I've got some followers who are getting tired of my being appreciative of her, but on those grounds alone, I have to show her some respect. Yeah, I've been following her since since she got into office, I think. And I just think that she is the most refreshing and honest and to the point. She's basically like a Rand Paul of the left. And I'm constantly tweeting, asking if we can trade Bill Crystal and all his lackeys for Tulsi. Because <laughs> oh, I, I just think she is a breath of fresh air. And, and everybody's definitely getting sick of me praising her too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know what? The Democratic Party these days, they take Bill Crystal and they'd give us Tulsi. I mean, that's that's really where they're headed. Yeah. They would take Bill Crystal because he's, you know, he's not going to, you think Bill Crystal ever really pushed for a cut in spending on anything? All he cares about is is war and going after people like Assange. I mean, that you can count on, the, the guy's like a vampire. You can count on him to be absolutely horrid on everything. Now, can you review for us, just so that we have a full appreciation of this, the kinds of information that we have, the things that we know about, that we would not have known about had it not been for Assange and WikiLeaks? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin. But I guess in 2016, we found out that Hillary Clinton was being fed debate questions, which obviously infuriated the Bernie supporters. There was a ton of information in that leak. Before all that, the stuff that he's actually being charged with is is their most important work. They revealed that the U.S. government had killed a Reuters reporter and denied it. Um, they posted video of it. They've went after everyone from Scientology to, you know, you name it. They've published things about just about everyone. And if you're looking for information on something, you can be sure that searching the WikiLeaks website, you're going to find stuff that'll help you. Um, they've 
McCain reaching out to Russia for campaign donations in 2008. There's there's just so much. I don't even know where to begin. Well, I, I've, I've even read that in terms of uh, um, like the civilian casualties in Afghanistan were being understated by the U.S. government. Yeah. Stuff like that that is just astonishing and appalling. And then there was that, the that CIA video leak. from— Oh, oh, you know, tell, tell, talk about that. Yeah, there was the Vault 7 CIA leak. It was the largest CIA leak in history. Um, it revealed all kinds of privacy violations, all sorts of just shocking surveillance state information that we didn't know before. Stuff that even went beyond Snowden's publications. Um, and I, I feel like that one was really under underappreciated. Oh, by the way, where are, are you still overseas? No, I'm back in the U.S., but I'm planning to possibly planning to go back in May for his hearing. And I'm talking to his lawyers about trying to figure out how to visit him in prison because actually it might be ironically easier to visit him in prison now than it was in the embassy the past few months. Jeez, how about that? <laughs> how about that? Now, incidentally, when the whole Russiagate thing fell apart a few weeks ago, somebody made a list of all the journalists and uh, news outlets who had actually been good on that issue. You know, and, and it's, you know, there's a, actually a substantial number of people who had been telling the truth about that. If you had to single out, who would you say have been the best people uh, over the years, but and also particularly right now, other than yourself, uh, the best people to follow because they've just been dead on right about Assange? I think Glenn Greenwald has been great. Tucker did an amazing opening segment talking about it. Caitlin Johnstone, she's actually a socialist, but she's been killing it. I, I adore her. Excellent. Yeah. There's been, I mean, just a lot of people, but for sure, Glenn Greenwald, he's been he's been killing it. Can you talk to us a little bit about your own political background? Because you have rather an interesting story. I mean, how did you first of all, how did you get involved in writing and journalism in the first place? And when you did initially start doing it, what kinds of stories were you writing? Well, it's actually really crazy, but I, I wasn't really super into politics until the Manning leaks. And I, I got into it because of WikiLeaks. I joined, I wasn't even on social media, I joined it because of WikiLeaks. And a friend of mine had died in Afghanistan, so I was really adamant that I wanted the war to end. But I was always really pro-free speech, anti-war. I naturally ended up on the far left because back then it just seemed like those were the people who were pro-free speech and anti-war, yeah. the people who were protesting Bush. And I was out protesting Bush and supporting WikiLeaks. Um, then eventually I started writing for a libertarian website because I, a homeless man named Kelly Thomas had been killed in Orange County. This is far before Ferguson or anything like that, but he was brutally beat to death by six police officers. They were, they went on trial for murder. Um, they ended up being acquitted, but I was infuriated by this case. So his dad was a cop. He, I used to see him around and he would bum cigarettes and things like that. So I, I, the case was really important to me personally. So I had started writing about it. I went to the court cases and I ended up writing about, you know, the police state and surveillance and things like that um, for this, the free thought project. And I was, I was just, I was far left and I would go cover riots and protests and things like that. But then around 2015, I noticed that the people that I was around all the time and the people that I looked up to were no longer pro-free speech. They were shutting down people like Milo and things like that. And I was like, you're shutting down this gay man and calling him homophobic and racist. And what what is happening? And so I started following, you know, more right-wing outlets more closely and more libertarian 
sites. And I, I was obviously already a big fan of like Ron Paul and Rand Paul. So I started following that kind of stuff. And eventually when it was decided that Hillary was going to be the Democratic nominee and I was watching rioters shut down people's free speech, I, I just flipped and I was like, I'm not I'm right wing now, guys, whatever. I'm voting for Trump. I don't know. Um, wow. Did you, did you have to make all new friends? Yeah. Well, I've, I've had some that stuck by me. I'm still friends with quite a few leftists. That's good. Um, a lot of people disowned me. <laughs> there was quite a lot. Yeah, but uh, you, you got to do what you feel drawn to do. I'm still the same, though. Like, I, I've always been anti-war. That's always been my biggest issue. Foreign policy has always been the number one thing that I cared about. And the Democrats were no longer anti-war. They were cheering on wars with Syria and Russia and and the right, the populist right and the libertarians were the ones who were saying, hey, guys, whoa, slow down. So I I mean, my views on this never changed. The party that was championing what I believed just changed. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's been astonishing to see people on Twitter who devote their lives to being anti-Trump on everything. Then Trump says this thing about we're going to get out of Syria. And they, they say, well, but the generals haven't told us we can get out of Syria. As if the military dictates to the civilian this this is not a banana republic. The civilian leader is the guy who makes the decision. But there's a well, uh, you know, we don't like war either. But we're gonna wait till you're gonna wait till what? Right. Till, till the war pigs tell you that it's it's time to get out. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a nice strategy you got there. It's amazing to watch that happen right before my eyes. Now I remember what I wanted to ask you before, and I, I realize this is extremely childish and immature of me, but I have to admit there's a part of me that kind of hopes that WikiLeaks has a big stash of documents that it's all set to let go <laughs> now that, that you know they've done this to Assange. I mean, is there any chance of that? Well, they've definitely tweeted out codes um, and hashes for what they've said is a dead man switch. And I, I do believe that if it happens to Julian, if he is harmed, if one hair on his head is harmed, those files will drop. And I've I'm sure that people won't be very happy about it. I know that even last night, um, the Ecuadorian government got hacked. A whole mess of their website got hacked. And a picture of Julian with a quote about how important the truth is was replaced on the <laughs> the pages. So there's going to, you know, I don't know for sure if they have the dead man switch. I haven't talked to him about it too much in depth, but I believe there is. And I've I certainly wouldn't want to be the ones who are on the receiving end if anything happens to him. All right. Well, let me just ask you now as we uh, start to wrap up, if you were to be speaking to, let's say, a room full of young, aspiring journalists and you just had a couple of minutes to convey to them the urgency of supporting Assange in this particular case, how would you make that case to them? Well, I would say that Courage is contagious, as Juliana always says, and that you need to be brave enough to reveal secrets that the government didn't want you to know. And by allowing the persecution of somebody who who did that, who revealed things that the government didn't want you to know, um, you're putting nails in your own coffin. And once the right to publish and the right to free speech and free press is gone, it will never come back. So it's really, really important everybody get behind it now because it's not just him and it's it's not just his rights that'll be gone it'll be all of us well if people want to follow your work on this and other topics uh, where should they go um i write for the gatewaypundit.com and my twitter is cassandra rules
<laughs> which I had made as a joke a long time ago. It works. It's it's easy to remember, and I, I like it. It's a, it's, I think it's a perfect Twitter handle. So tomwoods.com slash 1385 is our show notes page for today. So I'll link to where they can find you on Gateway Pundit and also to your your Twitter. So uh, I know this has been an absolutely crazy whirlwind of a couple of days for you. So um, I appreciate your being able to carve out some time for me to talk about this urgent matter. Thanks so much. And, and I'll keep following you because I've, I have to make sure I'm getting good information and you haven't steered me wrong so far. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks. Now, before I let you go, I found out about something that I think you guys might find interesting. Well, first of all, tomorrow's episode, Patrick Moore, you remember formerly of Greenpeace, comes on the program to talk about the Green New Deal. Oh, come on, man. That is going to be fantastic. So definitely you want to subscribe at tomwoods.com slash iTunes because this guy is fantastic. You know, formerly of, of Greenpeace, and he considers himself to be an environmentalist. But, man, he has choice words for those folks. So it's going to be a very, very interesting conversation. Well, anyway, apparently a couple of documentary filmmakers are about to release a documentary. It's like a documentary series on the general subject of money, but not money like we Austrians would look at it, like what's the origin of money and the regression theorem and stuff like that. But rather they're going to interview a bunch of very successful people and ask them about you know the secret to their success. And then also, once you earned a lot of dough, what did you do with it? What was your next step? How do you hang on to it? What do you invest it in? What do you do with it once you have it? And with documentaries like this, it's kind of hit and miss about the sorts of people they're going to interview. But the reason I'm telling you about this one is that Patrick Byrne is one of the people they're going to talk to. And he's been a guest on this podcast. And a lot of you know he's the CEO of Overstock.com. And he's very interested in the blockchain and cryptocurrency. And he's just a good libertarian all around. So he's definitely somebody I'd want to listen to. Uh, Ryan Daniel Moran, I've had twice on the show, very successful entrepreneur. In fact, the title of the episode featuring Ryan is Young Businessman Enjoys Rapid Success Won't Abase Himself Before SJWs. <laughs> All right. So he's a great guy. They're also going to be talking to John Mackey. A lot of you know him of Whole Foods. And who's the other guy? Another guy, oh, Robert Kiyosaki, the guy who wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've never had him on the show. He might be an interesting guy to talk to one of these days also. But in other words, these are actually interesting people, knowledgeable people, people who are also ideologically sympathetic to us and who I think have a lot of valuable things to say. I mean, this is worth putting aside whatever fun, relaxing stuff you like to watch and instead watch this because as they release it, they're going to have it free to the public for a limited time during their launch week. And then I think you have to pay for it. So you might as well watch it for free while you can. So shortcut link to get there is tomwoods.com slash smackers. What else would it be? Tomwoods.com slash smackers. If you're an action taker, if you're interested in this sort of thing, you darn well should be because there are far too many broke libertarians out there. You should listen to what these people have to say, particularly when they're people who are ideologically sympathetic to us on top of being really smart and successful. So tomwoods.com slash smackers to get your grubby hands on that baby, and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.